science and machine learning, what are the kind of skills that get people jobs? And which are the industries that have the money to provide for those jobs and consider them to be worthwhile for actual business objectives? These are the questions that we ask in this week's episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. This week we have on the show Lucas Bywald, who's currently the CEO of Crowdflower. He's previously at the Stanford AI Lab, and his first job out of school uh, was at Yahoo, where he worked with them on search and machine learning. Um, like us here at Tech Emergence, they do a bit of a broader perspective, focusing on the field of data science, looking at what kind of job listings are coming out and what kinds of frequencies, what does that mean about what companies are looking for in terms of who they're hiring. So those of you who have an interest in where AI might be applied in the business domain would uh, certainly garner something from this particular episode, as well as any of you tuned in who might have these skills or be looking to develop some data science or machine learning skills uh, to find yourself a position at a company that can pay well for that. Um, in either case, I think you'll enjoy this episode. Without further ado, we'll roll right in. So Lucas, where I'd like to start off with is I know that this is your second year of doing your data science report, um, is, is get a little bit into what you found in terms of trends of what companies are looking for in data scientists. You know, a little bit on skills, on experience. What are companies hunting after right now? And what, what are, what's in demand for them in terms of data science skills and abilities? Sure, so we looked at what companies are, are trying to hire in terms of their job descriptions. And we parsed out the different skills and the different languages and, and technologies that um, the companies are trying to find. And the top two that, that came up over and over, actually the two that, that appeared in more than half of the, the job listings was SQL and Hadoop, um, which are, are basically both around um, kind of storing data and getting data outside of data warehouses and databases and, and such. And so, um, you know, it seemed like the kind of number one skill or the number one type of skill that, that companies are looking for is the ability to get data um, out of <laughs> wherever the data yes, currently exists. Yes, yes. Um, and then the top language that folks are looking for, I think, was was a similar pattern, right? Where they're looking for, I mean, I guess SQL is a language, but but the top, um, you know, kind of general purpose programming language is Python, right? Over Java and R um, and others. And so, you know, I think I, I kind of think of Python as a, um, you know, kind of a very general purpose language, really good at um, kind of parsing and, and moving bits around. And so, um, you know, kind of the bigger takeaway that I had from from this analysis was the thing that companies are really looking for is engineering skills, what some companies call data engineering, where it's it's not just doing the analysis, but but actually getting the data into a place where the analysis is really possible. Yeah, I guess, isn't that sort of, uh, you know, in terms of just interviewing so many folks, I think what I've picked up on is that, you know, there were, there were years where storage became somewhat inexpensive and uh, everything became more digital and trackable and we could keep that somewhere and pay Oracle a lot of money to store that. Um, and now we're sort of at a place where, you know, we should probably look at, look at some of that stuff and, uh, and actually make sense of it. So it sounds like that retrieval and assembly, it, just as much as if maybe not more than the assessment of it when it is out of the box is sort of a critical skill that, that, you know, companies need and are looking to hire for. Yeah. And I think it's an exciting time, you know, I mean, the, there's an opportunity on all the data that, that companies collect. And I think it's one of the things that's really pushed advances in machine learning and, and more advanced techniques, right? Because, you know, when, when you have a lot more data, there's a lot more interesting things you can do. I mean, I was actually just thinking the other day, I was, um, in my first job at Yahoo right out of school, um, this is maybe 11, 12 years ago, yep. um, 
R, I remember R was just kind of coming out in a 64-bit version, um, so you could store bigger data sets. And I remember asking on the the R mailing list, you know, if anyone kind of helped me get the 64-bit version working, so so I could you know kind of put more stuff into memory. And you know, most of the people on the R mailing list are kind of like, why would you want to you know use millions of records? Like you could just sample the data. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's like it's just kind of striking right now. I think um, you know that that would. You know, I think now people really want to use all the data and, and do kind of bigger analyses. And, and yeah, it gives them gives them uh, you know the more petabytes. I think it's it's sort of like you know one of those metrics that people like to flex too, probably you know um, to some degree. But I think it's also because so much more insight can be garnered if you're doing it well. Uh, in addition to the skills that you had mentioned in terms of what's on job listings, and from what I gather, that was from LinkedIn uh, job listings. What else, you know, in your experience talking to companies, you know, your own product, Crowdflower, is being sold to these companies that are hiring data scientists. You're in touch with these folks. You've done this analysis. What, in addition to those two listed skills, do you find that companies often want in data science talent? You know, is there a particular experience at other kinds of companies beforehand? Are there certain universities that people tend to kind of get snooty about? Um, what, what, what are the other factors in addition to sort of uh, technical proficiencies of those languages you mentioned? that uh, companies want when they're out there aiming to hire? Well, I think companies certainly do get snooty about the, the universities. But, you know, I think the, another thing that kind of struck me in our interviewing data scientists is, is companies want to hire data scientists that have um, that, that kind of a little less on the academic side and a little more on the sort of business, um, I don't know what you'd call it, sort of like business sense or business acumen. Hmm, in what um, sense? Yeah, how do you mean that? And the sense that, so I think they want to hire data scientists that can kind of figure out what the company really needs, like what's going what's gonna to matter for the company, um, and kind of be that bridge between the, um, you know, the business guys that are, are trying, to, trying to accomplish something with the business yeah. and um, the, the data. And so it, what's interesting is the data scientists also um, say that the, the biggest skill that they want to learn is actually, um, in our, just by, by person, is, is kind of more... Um, you know, understanding about the business overall. Really? Okay. So you're finding that data scientists are are hip to that and have their own curiosities around how do we bridge the gap for you know a real financial ROI here, really driving business objectives. There's real enthusiasm from the scientists for that end. Yeah, because you know there's so much that data can do that that really matters, right? I mean, you know, I think every company has a different set of data problems, and I think data science teams are kind of becoming the bridge between understanding what all the data is and understanding what the data might be able to do. Interesting. Like I think, you know, 10, 10 years ago, you know, the, you know, you go to, to kind of any e-commerce company search page and boy, it works so much better um, than it worked 10 years ago. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of different um, faceted search, you know, the relevance is really good. Um, and, and this has really been pushed by data science teams realizing, you know, Hey, we can, we can be like Google, right. We can take our data and be smarter and show better results. And, and you know what, when you show, customers better results, you make more money. And um, I think this has really been driven by um, data science teams seeing, okay, there's all this data, we could do smarter things. And 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 then um, ultimately they they make the business more money and then that gets them lots more resources invested in the team. This is interesting. Okay. Now what's sort of dawning on me here, and it makes a lot of sense is that, you know, like you said, you've got your business folks who are, are looking at, uh, you know, margin and revenue and areas of growth and what have you. You've got your folks that can really get in the weeds with respect to data, um, but but you know it, it's it's not self-evident that if you went to Wharton uh, and and you run a, a company um, 
you know, that has 2,000 employees, uh, that you know out of X data what to look at in what way to garner what result that would help us turn that insight into dollars, right? That's not, that's not actually something you inherently know, even if you're very intelligent. So what you're saying is that the people are looking to hire data science talent that can maybe not only mess around with the numbers the way you tell them, but can come to the table with where garnered insight for business objectives could be because they're the people that have to know, I guess, how to make sense of that, those weeds. It's not necessarily going to be already in the head of the smart business folks. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Right. And when you have a person that can run um, experiments and think about what the business might need, the whole cycle comes faster. Oh, right? yeah. You know, if I oh, yeah. CEO and I'm, I'm just kind of like dreaming up, you know, like possible patterns and then telling the data science team to go check that, you know, my guesses aren't going to be as good. And it's every time I go to the data science team, it's going to take me, you know, days or weeks to kind of get an answer back. Whereas if the data science team can kind of look at the data and, and kind of dream up hypotheses themselves, is much more efficient and, and leads to better results. Got it. Yeah. So how how to intelligently leverage the data? How how to access it? You know, with the technical talent you talked about, but how to intelligently leverage it? So okay. So you're you're finding that uh, companies, you know, they like their Carnegie Mellons, they like their Stanford's, um, but they also would prefer maybe someone with business experience or business acumen with leveraging the data, not just hey, how thick are your glasses? Um, and you know, and 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 what is your uh, you know, and and, and, and What's the logo on your sweater from, from your university? But also, um, can you come to the table with ideas of how we can use this big bucket of you know, incredible amounts of data and actually turn it into some insights to improve? So it sounds like that's important. And anything else are you finding that companies are seeing as in demand? You know, things that really give one applicant a huge advantage over another. Uh, what are those areas of emphasis that you see companies sort of hungry for? Well, you know, another place that I think companies are really trying to figure out right now is machine learning. And so, you know, I think that data scientists that have a background in machine learning are incredibly in demand. I think companies haven't quite often, in, in many cases, figured out how to use machine learning, um, but we're seeing um, every company believing that machine learning is important to their future and looking yeah. to hire people and help them build that future. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it, well, I guess, you know, it's been the most in demand class, uh, you know, at Stanford for however long, right? And you've got all those Coursera. Uh, courses and whatnot. I, I think a really indicative um, sort of tell there for the future, Lucas, I'm interested if you feel the same, is that, that, that there is that sentiment around machine learning, right? I, I don't know if there's ever been as broad and wide a sentiment among business folks that, by golly, we got to be getting on this train. By golly, there is gold in these hills. I don't know if, if anything before machine learning really rang that many bells across like business broadly you know i think that that optimism is going to drive applications even if they're difficult i think that that optimism and belief alone are super important i don't know where you see that role but i, I just see that wave rising yeah for sure i mean i guess I, I look at machine learning and i think um you know it's in in you know it used to be called artificial intelligence right and and i think artificial intelligence maybe over promised at one point and then there was kind of a backlash oh yeah um, and, but, you know, I don't think it's kind of, I think in reality, the technology has just steadily gotten better and better. And then there's some other trends that are really helping, right? Like, you know, the fact that it's easy to store tons and tons of data and the fact that it's really, it's quick to process yep. um, so much data makes statistical algorithms with a lot more machinery viable, right? And so, um, you know, machine 
intelligence kind of gone from you know something fascinating and, and kind of in the realm of, of academia to something that you know really helps businesses and so um, they realize that they need to figure out how to how to use it um, and I think a lot of businesses actually are using it um, with with quite a lot of success so and well yeah I'd like to get into that too I know off mic Lucas we had talked and you had mentioned you know you guys uh, you know with your company today, Certainly selling, you know, a good deal to companies that have large data science teams and have big objectives and goals with, with respect to data science. Um, where are the industries right now in terms of people that, that have that hankering for data science talent? Um, what, are, what are the industries that are, are really craving it the most and, and why do you think that is? Yeah, so I think the industries that, that, that really want data science and um, machine learning are industries where um, they've actually seen value already. Um, and so, you know, we kind of watch this pattern, right? If you get a killer use case and then the industry kind of um, takes off around it. Yep. So, you know, the biggest industry that, that we see um, selling its data scientists, um, the, the place where we see the most data scientists, unfortunately, is e-commerce. Mm. Um, and I think this is because um, search is so directly tied to revenue, right? If you can make a 1% improvement in your search algorithm, you probably get a 1% improvement in revenue, which is, is amazing to um, a big e-company. Yeah. Um, so, so you see um, companies you wouldn't necessarily think of as you know, kind of uh, bleeding edge um, data, data science companies. You see them hiring um, data scientists like crazy. I mean, hundreds of um, people at, at kind of your average um, e-commerce company these days. So I think that's kind of the number one um, you know, place where you see kind of the most data scientists per capita. Got it. Okay, that's interesting. Um, fortune. Then, you know, next, and I think this is kind of where data science started, is um, is consumer internet, right? And, and you know, that's like, you know, kind of the LinkedIn's and the, the Yahoo's and the Google's of the world. And I think they're the, the, the big use cases around dealing with user-generated data, right? I mean, you know, Facebook has so many photos uploaded, right? And, and building that facial recognition algorithm is, is really meaningful to them and a really impressive feat of engineering. Um, you know, and there's versions of that that you kind of don't see, right? The fact that, you know, people complain that you get, um, you know, LinkedIn spam sometimes, but if LinkedIn didn't have really advanced spam filters, all you would get is spam. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, every, every kind of, every kind of um, consumer internet company that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis is using machine learning quite a lot behind the scenes, and they have a large data science team that's making that possible. Um, and then the final one, which is, um, actually, mostly outside of Silicon Valley is financial services, right? And I think that's where, you know, they're used to dealing with big data sets. They kind of drove, um, you know, some of the initial advances in um, in data yeah. uh, back in the 80s, right? And that's financial services, right? So, um, so those are kind of the big three places that we see the largest data science teams. And then kind of the fourth that, that seems to be taking off right now is, um, is healthcare. Huh. Um, and, and that's one where, you know, I think that um, I actually think changing regulations are making more data available, and that's leading an explosion in, um, in, in data applications. And I guess actually probably also, um, you know, companies like 23andMe that, that have all this genetic data um, and, and Fitbit and all the new types of data available um, is, is clearly making um, a big use case. So I, I wonder if healthcare, um, you know, could kind of go from, you know, maybe not totally data-centric to the biggest uh, place that data scientists are hired in the next couple of years. That's interesting. So, yeah, we'll talk a bit about the future here. I've got, I've got some questions on that. I think you could probably uh, chip in some, some great thoughts in this respect. Um, you know, you, you, obviously Watson's, you know, our IBM's throwing its chips into that basket a little bit, right? And so is, you know, DeepMind, uh, 
has has their health initiative that I know that they're aiming to implement um, out there in the UK. Um, and so there are big, important players with lots of lights on them who are sort of starting to knuckle down in that domain. I, I, yeah. And you also have all your wearable folks. I, I think um, it feels to me like maybe the reason why e-commerce is the simplest is because the the correlation of generating insights from data and revenue are direct. They're, they're not yeah. obscure. They are in your face. While, you know, consumer internet, it's like, well, if we know that we should show this message instead of this message, maybe we'll have better stick rate on our platform, better engagement per session over time. And maybe someday when we start making money, that'll matter in a way that ties to money. And that's like a really distantly far from making money sort of correlation um, for, for a lot of newer places, right? Facebook's obviously monetizing, uh, you know, the ever loving pants off of their platform. And so is, you know, uh, YouTube and everybody else. But I think for, for the, the burgeoning companies there, I think it's probably harder to tie it to money. And then, you know, healthcare, man, you know, great. Our, our stethoscope can pull up XYZ information and correlate that to QRS, but it's like the nurses and the doctors have to have buy-in and they're not even the people buying it. They're not even the people using it. You know, who, who buys, who uses, uh, and where those benefits trickle down to somebody having an efficiency, um, I think is also much less direct than in e-commerce where it's like, search for shoes, you just search for these dresses, present these shoes, make more money. You know, I think I think it's a farther connection. That's that's maybe what feels like a difficult challenge to me. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think the other thing with e-commerce is that the data is all public, right? So there's not privacy issues oh, yeah. typically yeah. in e-commerce. Um, you know, there's, there's some issues about using, um, kind of user collected data, but it's still, you know, nowhere like, you know, what I buy is, is so much less personal than, um, you know, x-rays of, <laughs> of my actual body, right. Or MRIs. <laughs> okay. or so, yes. You know, I think that, uh, there's all kinds of issues in healthcare, but I mean, the, you talk about like the ROI, I mean, you know, I think, you know, Watson can't say this, but, but I can, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think computer algorithms are going to be so much better than people at interpreting um, MRIs and things like that in the in the very you know maybe, maybe today right and, and, and today maybe it's kind of close right but I think in the near future the difference is going to be so stark that it's going to be um, you know absolutely crazy to use a human uh, radiologist. You know what's funny to me? I, I was actually thinking about writing an article about this last week, and now maybe I'll have to do it. Is that the language used to sell? artificial intelligence into um, uh, into the healthcare space has to be so happy and friendly, e even if the purpose is to literally get rid of people doing things, right? It has to be framed like DeepMind and, and Watson. It's all about like sort of helping the doctors and, you know, man, we really know that the doctors are the experts and these are tools that can help them, right? Like you, they have to pad yeah. the egos. They have to lessen everybody. Even if they know, like if they know as iron law that their success as a business will have to do with how much human inefficiently they can eliminate, and in many regards, um, how many less salaries a company has to pay, they, they have to f sell it in like the, the bubbliest, friendly sense because otherwise there's going to be articles written about them with pictures of the Terminator robot, um, and they're going <laughs> to and they're going to be seen as the bad guy. I think it, I think it's just a it's a very uh, interesting happy friendly frame that has to be put for for the sake of marketing and I'm, I'm I just uh, I agree with you in many regards and I I think it'll be interesting to see how companies continue to paint it moving forward very few people are open with saying like you said Watson yep we're gonna get rid of them 
Lots of them, lots of them are bad at it. And honestly, they're going right. No one's going to say that. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll change because I think like right now these algorithms and people are pretty close, yep. but I think when the algorithms are a lot better than people, patients are going to demand it. Right. I mean, yep. people are just going to insist on having the best possible That's medical it. care. That's it. They're not going to stand for, for human error. Nope. Uh, just, just like there's plenty of areas right now where we don't stand for human error, you know? Uh, and, and I think, uh, as soon as the efficiencies are blatant enough and as soon as the consumer demand is there, um, you know, it'll be a very interesting transition with such a personal thing as, as medicine. Um, as a last topic here, Lucas, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts uh, around the coming uh, five years or so in the domain of data science um, on two sides. And you can let me know on both if, if we've got the time for it. Um, number one, you know, talent wise, experience wise, what do you see companies wanting more and more of? You know, is it going to stay these languages for a certain amount of time? Do you see Python sort of going by the wayside for other other tools, you know, in the, in the coming decade, you know, whether it be Spark or what have you? Um, and then similarly in industry, I'm interested if you have other thoughts around areas where uh, the, the direct real ROI and application of, of data science can be meaningful. Um, where, where do you see that next five years in terms of the trends we've talked about today changing? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, I think, I guess it seems to me like Python is becoming actually more and more useful. Hmm. Um, you know, like five, five, ten years ago, I mean, I, I can actually say this because I always loved R <laughs> and I was never a huge uh, Python guy, but I've kind of recently, um, you know, given Python a shot with, with scikit-learn, which is just an amazing amazingly convenient um package and I, I think that um python started to kind of eliminate the um the reasons that you would use um r over python and so it seems to me that you know python is kind of a more flexible structure where you can bolt um, more different types of things onto it and so i think that as um the things that data science needs to do grows in scope um it seems to me like data science will kind of land on a more um, kind of a more flexible um, language that acknowledges the fact that the main part of data scientists job is actually getting the data out of data stores, right? I mean, the, the trend of, of storing data, the, the trend of storing data becoming more and more cheap is, is not going away, right? And, the, and computers getting faster is not going away. And so I think you'll see, um, I think you'll see larger and larger data sets um, at every company. And so I think you can you can kind of see what's what's five years down the road for for every company kind of by looking at um, you know what companies like Google are doing um, today, which I think is is a really good sign for data science, right? I mean I think that um, I think that companies are going to hire um, you know more and more and more data scientists and they're going to become more and more relevant in the organizations. Right. I mean you're starting to see um, you know chief data officers and, and VPs of data science as, as positions um, at lots and lots of businesses. And I think that, um, I think that will continue. So, um, you know, you see, you see business school students learning to, uh, write Python code, right? I mean, so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I think that, I think all these trends, you know, have no real sign of, um, of letting up at least in the next five years. Um, I gotta believe that there'll be more focus on the, the data cleaning issue, Huh. Um, okay. You mean even you in, know, even in the hiring, like just demand, like, hey, we need someone that can really polish this up for us, like an overt demand for that. Well, I guess like you know, you, one of the most striking things, you know, in our survey last year and our survey this year, um, and you know, you could you could say like, okay, Crowdflower, you're kind of a data cleaning company, so this is like a little biased, but we re really we we ask people, hey, you know, what are you spending all your time doing? 
um, and they tell us data cleaning, <laughs> right? These, yeah. are, these are data scientists. And so it sort of feels to me like you don't kind of think of that as the first thing that a data scientist would be doing. But, you know, across the board, it is the thing that data scientists are doing. Um, and so I think you'll see a lot more innovation there, right? Like, I think, you know, if you're an executive or you're a venture capitalist and you're, you're thinking of a, um, you're thinking of like, what's a data science company? You're thinking, oh, it's a machine learning company or it's like, you know, like a big data Hadoop um, company. But I think, you know, I, I think the thing that, that people are actually spending their time on isn't, um, gigantic data stores or, or, you know, kind of new machine learning algorithms. It's really just basic, like cleaning up data. Yeah, <laughs> right? and so, yeah. You know, when, when people are spending all their time on something, I think that's where people innovate. And so I think it's, I, I feel like we're likely to see lots of really interesting, um, approaches to kind of efficiently, um, cleaning up data, pulling out outliers, kind of all the, the drudgery that real data scientists know is the main part of their job. Um, you know, but the rest of the world may not have figured out yet. Yeah, you know, I, I'll mirror what you've said. So clearly, you know, it would make sense to have some kind of a bias given your position. But to to uh, sort of further your note, you know, we've we've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of folks in the Bay Area and otherwise who um, go in on on a kind of consultancy basis and and with a lot of smart folks will go build out a machine learning or machine vision uh, or recommendation engine application for large companies and. Uh, when I talk to them about, you know, what are these companies sort of ill-prepared for, uh, really what I hear time and time again is how much time we're going to need to make sure that this data actually is cleaned up and makes sense and that we can do something with it. And that that, that becomes uh, a bigger, you know, suck on time and resources than most folks outside of the data science world are, are really prepared for. So I, I, I would hope, you know, given the, the speed of, you know, computing and uh, cheapness of storage and everything else you've mentioned – that there would be important innovations on that side uh, too, because that that's that's important to the whole cycle. You can't get the work done unless uh, we can have you know formats where we can actually use it. Um, so I, I'm I'm hoping you're right. Um, it, as a very final question, because we do have a couple more minutes, uh, and and I, I didn't want to miss this because we just got through the first one. Industries. Final thoughts. You know, next five to ten places where you would kind of put your chips if you were a betting man. Um, in terms of industries sort of going going up maybe faster than others in the data science world. Any any thoughts there? Um, well, you know, the big one to me, is, is, I think, is healthcare, like I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Very bullish. You know, I think specifically around, um, you know, kind of genetics and, and outcomes. Like, I, I'm really struck that you can't get basic questions answered, like, um, you know, given my medical history, what's the thing most likely to kill me? <laughs> right? I mean, that just man, seems like... I, I, I completely agree with you. I think, man, why isn't that in place? At least at least a, a gist of it. You know, it doesn't have to be definitive, but I mean, at, at least something we can run basic info through, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you, it's because the data is not, not available, right? So, you know, actually there's no, um, you know, nobody has a complete set of, of health records and outcomes um, for everyone, right? So, you know, these kinds of really simple analyses... Um, that, that you could do if you just had everybody's health records um, are, are actually impossible to get right now. But I, I think that's changing, right? And so, you know, I think when we have, um, you know, when we sequence everybody's genes and we have, um, you know, we know, like, you know, who got which type of cancer, like who had um, which type of diseases, um, I think that uh, medicine will become incredibly personalized and we'll all live a lot longer. So um, I just think there's going to be, an, once people kind of realize the promise um, with a couple early wins, I think there's just going to be incredible push um, towards improving um, data science there. But right now, a lot of data scientists don't actually want to work in healthcare because, you know, HIPAA compliance is is a big deal and it kind of makes it hard to use a lot of, 
you know, a lot of software that people are kind of comfortable using. Um, but again, I think these are, these are issues that will be solved by, um, th there's enough push to, to want it that I think folks are going to figure out clever ways to, to solve it with technology and other means. Got it. Okay. So, so the place where you're most bullish, as mentioned beforehand, you know, coming half decade, decade, uh, healthcare, I I'll, I'll certainly be rooting, uh, for you on that one as well. Um, because I think, you know, as, as mentioned, wouldn't it be great if, you know, here's everything that's ever happened to me. Here's everything that ever happened to my mother and father, you know, give me some odds, <laughs> you know, give me, give, yeah, give, me, give me, give me some, rough, <laughs> give me some rough odds, you know, like, like, give me, give me bad ones. I, I don't, I don't have to like, I don't have to know. I don't have ninety percent certainty, but I mean, you know, dice roll style. You know, is colon cancer sort of in the midst here? Do, do I have to be nervous or not? You know, I, I think, and I, and I think that more than for a curiosity factor, I think there could be really tangible yields if the information was congealed. I think the compliance aspect, the the, the fact that the data is broken up everywhere. You make a great point there, and I'm, I'm rooting for the same industry. So we'll see if you're right, and I think in your future reports, uh, hopefully you'll be able to, to sort of get a finger on the pulse as to if healthcare is picking up in the way that, that we might hope it does. So uh, that's it for me, Lucas. I, I very much appreciate you being able to, to share your insights in the Tech Emergent Podcast. Thanks again, brother. Absolutely. Take care. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.